So for the last couple of weeks, um, coincidentally, or by the grace of God, we have been doing a series about grace and truth. Um, if there's one thing that we have figured out already, it's, it's quite the tension to manage between grace and truth. A couple of weeks ago, we had a guest speaker, Brian Pell, and he made sure we understood that um, Jesus, full of grace and truth, didn't balance it 50-50. He was grace, 100%. He is truth, 100%. Um, absolute perfection, full of grace and truth. And then Dave last week gave us, I thought it was a pretty riveting personal story about um, being in a church that kind of went too far with the with the truth, being in a heavy-handed way, coming down hard on people um, to the point where it, it significantly damaged their faith. But he was careful to point out to us that the remedy for that isn't just to swing the other direction to unlimited and unthinking grace. Um, from our human perspective, we're looking to manage the tension between those two concepts individually and as a church. But it's Jesus who is full of grace and truth. So I want to keep looking tonight. Um, I'm going to look at grace in particular. I'm not sure which button to press first. There you go. Because I want to talk about what it is, what it isn't. You know, it's one of those words that pop culture and pop theology has distorted, uh, sort of like love and sort of like authority. And we've distorted this notion of grace as well. Um, and so I think it's very important that we take a good look at Scripture to find out what grace really means. Now, this is a sermon that's going to jump through a lot of different scriptures, no one passage to go through verse by verse. So um, pull out your phones and take pictures if you want. I hope we keep notes. I hope one of the scriptures at least sticks with you. And uh, it is my prayer, Lord, it's my prayer right now that through all of the forms of worship we do tonight, speaking, singing, praying, uh, receiving the Eucharist, my prayer is that you will reach out and touch each person here with your grace so that, in turn, we might share it with others. Amen. So, three points. Point one, grace is deep in the character and the nature of God. It is the heartbeat of God to extend grace to his creation. He does this particularly through inviting us to have a relationship with him. That's pretty generous of the almighty God and creator of the universe. And not only that, because of our own fallenness and our sin and our desire to run away from him, his grace extends to giving us salvation or redemption. And this, I think, is the core of grace, redemption and relationship. 
If you think of great, it's not about getting a near-in parking space on a busy Saturday at the mall. It's about something so much deeper. The core of God's heart for our salvation, for our relationship with him. Um, in the Old Testament, they frequently used a word in Hebrew called hesed. And it shows up also as words like faithfulness or loving kindness or grace. And it, it's... It's a word that is often used in contexts of being delivered from enemies or from affliction or from adversity. Um, it talks about daily help and guidance and, and forgiveness and preserving us. Hesed or grace as a characteristic of God means God can't help but be full of grace. He can't deny his own nature. He can't withhold his desire to have a relationship with us and to redeem us. It's that deep, folks. It's much deeper than the stuff that we often just think is, cut me some slack, give me some grace. Now, this we're talking about the heart of God. When he formed Israel... Uh, this is another word that he often uses, is used in the Old Testament for grace. I will look upon you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers, and I will keep my covenant with you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. That is a promise God cannot break. He cannot stop being full of grace and full of truth. Even though the nation of Israel from before it was even formed and after, just, oh man, screwed up constantly, forever getting into situations of idolatry, um, justifying themselves, forming religious systems that would excuse and justify their own sinfulness or create divisions and statuses within God's people that he didn't intend his people to have. Um, you know, showing injustice to those who are vulnerable. And just as continually in the midst of all their sin and rebellion, they're ignorant, walking away from him, they're conscious, walking away from him. The prophet Isaiah says, The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are all who wait for him. Frequently in the Old Testament, you'll see the phrase um, that he is a, a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, show, slow to anger, abounding in love, and punishing sin. But he cannot deny his nature as forever reaching out and wanting his children to have a deeper relationship with him, to be reconciled, redeemed, made new, restored. That's the depth of grace. And even when Israel finally went into captivity under other nations, um, his promise to restore them was still there. His covenant of redemption had more in mind than just bringing back the geopolitical nation of Israel. He had in mind working toward this ultimate salvation and redemption the redemption we have found in Jesus Christ. These verses have been bandied about a lot the last couple weeks. 
Out of the Gospel of John, the Word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Living, breathing, God on earth, grace and truth personified. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace. In place of the grace already given, which was the law, which was an attempt to get us into a relationship with God that failed. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And again, when we think of this this grace being personified in Christ, what did it look like? Well, it wasn't just a pat on the head and, oh, gee, let me, oh, I'm sorry that happened, guys. Look at the depth of what the Lord Jesus did. This personifies grace. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If nothing else, do you see that this whole idea of grace is so deep it should take our breath away? That grace and truth walked this earth in the person of Jesus and that this grace and truth has been given to us through our salvation, through the death of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul put it this way, God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalties for our sins. When somebody offends me, ticks me off, maybe genuinely hurts me in a serious way, it is not my first thought to restore the relationship. My first thought is to revenge what has happened. Thankfully, the heart of God has had, since before the beginning of the world, has had it in mind to redeem us from our own brokenness, from our own attempts to leave him. And this is one of those phrases that I like to just recite to myself, right in his sight, right in his sight, no more guilt, no more shame. Through the death of Christ, he has made us right in his sight. Paul's explaining in the the second verse here to a guy named Timothy that he's writing to, the depth of depravity he was saved from to have a relationship with God. Um, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And I'm reminded by this that Paul, who as a very, very zealous Jew, was persecuting, imprisoning, and okaying the death of early Christians before his own conversion, if the grace of our Lord could be poured out on him abundantly, who am I to say the grace of God is unable to reach anyone? And my attitude toward the worst offender of me personally or of society in general is as capable 
of receiving and being changed by the grace of God, as I was. Um, Grace is simply the undeserved favor of God, particularly in allowing us salvation and a relationship with him. It is nothing we deserved. It's poured out on us so that we can then extend it to others, helping them to understand the mercy and the grace of God, helping them to identify and even overcome their own sinfulness, helping them to find new life in Christ and a new vitality in the community of believers. We can extend reconciliation, restoration to others. We can offer them safe places for healing. We can listen. We can advocate for them. We can act in grace because of the power of the Holy Spirit in us. But we're not God, and we're not full of grace and truth. None of us. And I think sometimes it's, it's easier for me to admit that I'm not full of grace and truth, but when someone screws me over, I'm really pissed at them because they should have been full of grace and truth. But, no, um, you know, I hate to burst anyone's bubble, but we're all going to fail one another. We will all fail one another at times because we are human. Despite our best, or maybe it hasn't been our best effort to live in grace and truth. But the saddest thing of all is when humans fail and people give up on God um, because it is his heartbeat, his nature. He cannot deny his own righteousness, the fullness of grace and truth. Well, grace can be found in very hard places, and it can it can really seem, uh, there are times when God's supposed grace can really tick me off. I don't want it. If that's your grace, you can keep it. Um, there was a movie I saw, it's an old one, 1999, called Witness Protection. I've been doing a quiz on people under 30 recently saying, have you heard of Tom Sizemore? No. Um... How about, have you heard of, what's the other Forrest Whitaker. Ooh, yeah, eyes perk open. Um, Witness Protection is a story of Bobby Batts, a second-rate mobster in Boston. And someone has let on to his boss that Bobby's been cooking the books. And so the boss puts a hitman onto Bobby. And Bobby decides to go with his family. And Bobby is like in his late 40s. He's not like little Bobby. But he decides the way out of this situation is to go with his family into the witness protection program. And Forrest Whitaker becomes his handler. Well, this great idea lasts all of about two days. And Bobby wants out. Um, His kids don't like it. His wife doesn't like the idea of a change of lifestyle. He doesn't like the idea of what the FBI is setting up for him and his new identity. And they, they get into a fist fight. And they're on the ground, and Forrest Whitaker is like over Bobby, and he's screaming at him, you can't go back. Bobby Batts is dead. I saved your life. I gave you a new identity. You cannot go back. And I thought, ooh, now there is the gospel in a nutshell. I mean, not that 
God wrestles us to the ground screaming. But sometimes his grace feels like that. I don't know about you, but when I became a Christian for the first few months, I was as annoyed as I was blessed because it seemed like all becoming a Christian had done was just give me this conscience about things I was doing wrong. And it made life more difficult than it had been before. Because now I couldn't even go out and enjoy the things I had enjoyed as a non-believer. God's grace didn't seem like something I was really up for, if that's what his grace was. Mike was telling me about when he formed Scum of the Earth Church. Um, A lot of us know that he had been employed by another church. He'd been let go by that church. Great. Family to support. No job. What am I going to do? And some woman, and I hope I don't get in trouble. You can find out if we need to edit this out of the podcast. Some woman comes up to him and says, Oh, Mike, you'll see this as a blessing someday. This is God's kiss on your forehead. And he's like, I wanted to punch her lights out. I did not see that as God's kiss on my forehead. I saw it as getting fired. That's God's grace, huh? God's grace can appear very difficult to see when we can't see the future. God's grace is very difficult to accept when it causes us to lose what we want. Um, The first half of this year, Craig and I were wrestling with the imminent death of his mom. And when she told us in January that she was just sick of the the cancer treatments, and she just wanted to go into hospice, go home, dignity, death didn't scare her. We had to let her go. We had to give her the grace for that. It was great for her. It was loss for us. Grace is not always easy to accept. I had a seminary class one time. I remember the fellows, I remember the guy's full name, I'll just call him Mark at this point. He was a local pastor and he taught part-time theology at the seminary and he came in one day and he just looked awful. He was haggard looking. He plops on the desk and he said, we have a three-year-old. She was born with serious deformities and health problems. We were in the hospital with her again last night in the ER as we have been so many times before. Um... Whatever she had wasn't, you know, it wasn't exactly life-threatening, but they were looking at a life with this child as long as she lived, where three years old, couldn't walk, couldn't talk, still in diapers, couldn't communicate. And Mark just said, I got to admit, there are nights when I just say, Lord, just take her, please. You can imagine, we're all sitting there in dead silence. And he goes, our subject today is about the goodness of God. And we're like, oh, what do you say to that? God's grace is sometimes so hard to fathom when it we don't see the outcome of a situation or when it doesn't change the miserable situation we're in. And again, Israel... Israel experienced that. When the nation went into captivity, I mean, the nation was just overrun 
by invading armies, first Assyria, then Babylon, ruined the cities, knocked down the walls, destroyed the crops, killed the livestock, carted off men, women, and children. And this is what God has to say through one of his prophets. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away. And I tell you, sometimes my vision of God, even though my head says he is full of grace and truth, my vision of him is no more than a pinprick, if that, far away. And God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. And again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. He cannot deny his nature, but that does not mean he's going to change all our circumstances. And that is a hard realization about grace, that the depth of God's heart and the core of his grace is for us to be in relationship with him and to experience redemption and salvation far beyond any circumstances in which we find ourselves. And he calls Israel a virgin here because in other places in scripture, she's been called a whore for running after false gods and disobeying God as much as almost she could possibly strive to do. But his forgiveness and his love, his mercy, his loving kindness, his hesed and his grace sees her anew. And God is forever seeking us. And this another phrase that I repeat to myself a lot is grace in the wilderness. Grace in the wilderness. No matter how hard the situation seems, God cannot change. He hasn't gotten forgetful. He hasn't fallen asleep. He hasn't changed his mind. His character is consistent, and it is one of loving us. Oops, got my pages in the wrong order here. I had somebody ask me once, they shall remain nameless. It is somebody at scum this time. If God called me to this ministry, why did he make it so hard? Well, being called to something by God, again, doesn't mean a cakewalk. His graciousness in gifting us to do a ministry or even to be in a relationship with someone or to have a particular job doesn't mean he's going to make it all very easy. Think of the life of the Apostle Paul. Um, We just finished the book of Acts not too many months ago. And, uh, I mean, we saw what Paul went through as a believer people beating on him, leaving him for dead, stoning him, going hungry, shipwrecked, thrown into prison without a fair trial, given a sham trial, um, sent off to the emperor. This guy had nothing, it seemed, (laughs) nothing great and easy and glorious happened to him by the grace of God calling him to be an apostle. And even more so, A thorn was given me in the flesh, he says, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. 
Now, I think it's kind of amusing that for 2,000 years, biblical scholars have tried to figure out what this thorn in the flesh is, and they can't. And I think that's God up there going, <laughs> speaking of not being conceited, you don't know. It could have been chronic malaria. It could have been eye problems. It could have been a nagging mother-in-law, for all we know. Many theories have been advanced. We don't know what it is that, on top of everything else, Paul had to contend with. But he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Thanks, God. But Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of God may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Then the grace of God is sufficient for me. The harshest situations, when we want the situation to change, and it doesn't, the character of God is still reaching out and extending grace to deepen our relationship with him. Like I said, pop culture has um, TV, media, has all sorts of uh, perverted, basically, perverted ideas on what grace is. We confuse it with good luck, and we expect we can get it whenever we want. Um, But good luck is, is so much less. Good luck might change your circumstances. Grace changes our character. We might think that grace is as shallow as, you know, God giving me a good parking space. And it's, we might try to think that it's, you know, if God is gracious, I'm going to ace this interview, even though I don't have any qualifications for the job, or ace this exam, even though I haven't cracked a book open since the beginning of the semester. Um... That is not the way God works. That is not grace. God is not our personal butlers. We don't necessarily get it easy or get it our ways. I was thinking, you know, in the last couple of weeks, how Facebook has been full of all these pictures of my first day of school. And when I grow up, I want to be, can you imagine if everybody actually did grow up to be what they wanted to be when they were six? How many ballerinas would we have in the room? My daughter wanted to be a ballerina, a pizza delivery man, and an artist. It's like, wow, there's ambition for a six-year-old. Um, thank God, thank you, God, that your grace doesn't give us what we want because our wants are so puny at times. And C.S. Lewis, I think, had it perfectly. Aw, Mike's not here to hear me quote C.S. Lewis. Tell him I did. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We want such puny things at times, that we might as well just pull out a rabbit foot because the God of the universe has deeper, deeper things in mind for us. 
and ideas for us that we couldn't even fathom. And sometimes um, we think somehow or other we can earn grace. We have this tit-for-tat theology that says, well, God, if I do X, Y, Z, you owe me. That don't work out too well, does it? Um, This could be a story you've all heard before, but it's kind of a favorite teacher joke. Um, Class is told at the beginning of the semester. Three papers are due, September 15th, October 15th, November 15th. September 15th rolls around. Half the class turns in their papers. You know, about you know, more three quarters of the class turns in their papers. Twenty-five percent have some excuse, and the teacher says, "That's okay. I won't give that late penalty I talked about." Okay. October fifteenth comes around. Fifty percent of the students turn their paper in on time, and the professor says, "Yeah, that's okay. No penalty for those of you who are late." So November 15th comes around. Yeah, and about 10% of the people turn their paper in. And the professor says, the rest of you are docked. I'm not accepting a late paper. What? That's not fair. You can't do that. He goes, oh, that's not fair. You want fair? I will go back and change the grades of every late paper from the previous months. You can't play tit for tat with God. He doesn't owe us. And if he extends grace to one person, it doesn't mean the next person is owed the same thing. And we do this comparison game one to another, forgetting that it is the God of the universe we're dealing with. We keep our focus on such a a narrow human thread of action. If grace is undeserved favor from God, there's no way to earn it. And grace is not a free reign to do what we want or a a wink at our sins. God isn't some doddering old grandpa out of touch with the reality of the world that he created who just sits there and chuckles at our our little peccadilloes or our great big sins. Oh, that's okay. Never mind. Let it go. No. He is the creator and the redeemer and the sustainer of the universe. And he knows our great need for grace. But he knows the core of what he wants to do with that grace is to bring us into relationship with him and to make us like him. Paul was trying to explain this to the Romans, to a whole church of of new believers. And uh, I guess he got the impression that they were thinking the existence of God's grace meant they could do whatever they dang well pleased. And so there is a verse in Romans chapter 6. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? And in Greek, the response from Paul is meganoito, which translated to English is basically, hell no. We don't go on sinning because we think, well, we can just, you know, throw another quarter in the vending machine and get another dose of grace when we're done. Grace is not getting away with whatever you want. That is not grace at all. Grace is the privilege of being more and more godly like our Savior and Lord. It's the grace of God that brings us salvation. It has appeared to all people. And grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Yeah, that doesn't sound too exciting. I was kind of hoping that 
Grace would prevent a hangover tomorrow. Or Grace would make sure she didn't get pregnant. No, that is not grace. Because that is contrary to the nature of God. The grace that is in God's nature is there to help us become more godly. More seriously even, you know, you think of this. This little list here got off the internet. Affirming someone's bad behavior is not grace. Avoiding confrontation is not necessarily grace. Grace doesn't have to agree with everything, and grace can get angry in the presence of ungodliness. It's not grace to look the other way. All of those, I think... When we claim we are not talking with a brother and sister about their life or their lifestyle, when we are not expecting people to live up to their potential, or maybe when we are thrusting people into roles that they absolutely cannot handle, that is not grace. Grace is not afraid to talk to a brother or sister and bring them in line with the character of God. And also, it's not God's grace if your blessings come by taking advantage of others. Like when I hear somebody say, Oh, God just blessed me with a car for that third garage in my suburban home. And I'm like, Really? God blessed you with that? How interesting. Does it have anything to do with being born in America? Being white? Being educated? Being able to get a college student loan? Hmm? And you know, I want to go off on them, but... I try to restrain myself. I save those lines for sermons. So, But if your blessing has come at someone else's expense, it, it could be more a perversion. What you, you want to call it God's grace. Let's call it your arrogance or your assertiveness. I don't know if I made that clear. But I've tried to make that point before, so maybe, you, maybe you've all heard it. Um, what grace is, grace is surrender. Um, going back to that, I think it was, I think it was Campus Crusade, Four Spiritual Laws, they the ones? You used to have this little picture, a little picture of the throne, who's on the throne. You can be on the throne, or Christ can be on the throne. You can't both sit on the throne. Stop that. You're all smirking at me because I said throne so many times. I see you down there. The idea is you can't be holding on to your crown, your scepter, your control of your life, and to the grace of God. And this is why sometimes it makes it so hard to accept because we have to give up our will, give up our ideas, give up our control of our life if we want a powerful rush of God's grace to come in. And prepare and accomplish for us more than we can even think or imagine. But we want to justify our own existence. We want to explain away our sins. We do not want to be so humble as to admit we've been wrong and admit we need help. But that is what we need to do in order to receive grace. We cannot receive grace we're trying to run our own lives. Um, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in your weakness. It takes a huge amount of
of courage granted by God to approach God and ask for grace. And so just to sum it up again, grace is the character, the nature of God, primarily at its core, a gift of redemption and relationship with him. And it's there, even in the toughest of circumstances, in the most unexpected of times. Um, Let's be brothers and sisters to one another and help us help one another see the grace in the tough times. The grace is not good luck, and it just doesn't come on demand. It's undeserved. It's not owed to us. We take prayer seriously here at SCUM, and when we go into communion, there's going to be folks down in that room with the open door, the prayer cave, if you want someone to pray with you. But I want to invite us to do something that we haven't done in a long time right now, and that's just to have a time of prayer. And if you have something you want to pray out loud for this community to hear and join you in, um, let's do that now. And then I'll close up after a little bit, and then we'll go into a time of communion. But right now, open prayer. Um, Let's hear from one another. Where we need help, let's pray with one another as different people give a sentence or more, uh, a request or something you want to say to God. Okay, let's try that. Father, help us to see your grace more clearly, to desire it more deeply, to extend it more freely to others. Help us to grow in your grace 
and in the power of the Holy Spirit so that the gifts you have given us can be used for others. Thanks for all that you have given this church. And help us to be appreciative. Help us to be full of prayer one for another. Amen.